Welcome to The Manly Catholic. In this podcast, we will inspire, challenge, and equip all men to become the men they were created to be. Join us as we journey together to become the best versions of ourselves and strive to change our communities one man at a time. Hello all, welcome to another episode of The Manly Catholic. I'm James, your host, with me once again, back in the flesh. Yep, yep, there's a thorn. Ryan, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be back. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. In your company, you know, can't ask for more. You know, I'm trying to be a saint, so maybe I'm getting that halo. I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, so today we're doing part two of the Synod on Synodality listening session responses, um, particularly for our parish here in St. Roberts of New Minster in Ada, Michigan. Again, we... This is just Ryan and me kind of just spitballing, talking about the specific issues that came up for uh, our parish. But uh, Re- I'm a reaction video. Those are popular on YouTube. Oh, right that's now. right. Yeah. This is a reaction video. Maybe we can start. We can add that to the podcast. <laughs> I have too many ideas and not enough time. So, uh, but before we get going, as always, uh, we're gonna have Ryan read a prayer by was this by Saint Francis de Sales? It is it okay. Is. It's called My Cross. Uh, so, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The everlasting God has in his wisdom foreseen from eternity the cross that he now presents to you as a gift from his inmost heart. This cross he now sends you, he has considered with his all-knowing eyes, understood with his divine mind, tested with his wise justice, warmed with loving arms, and weighed with his own hands to see that it be not one inch too large and not one ounce too heavy for you. He has blessed it with his holy name, anointed it with his consolation, taken one last glance at you and your courage, and then sent it to you from heaven, a special greeting from God to you, an alms of the all-merciful love of God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Okay, so uh, just kind of a recap from last week. Um, so there were four questions that the Synod addressed, and within those questions there are different themes. Um, so we got through the first two questions last week. This uh, this week, we're going to talk about the next two questions. So for core question number three, um, the question is listening and dialogue in church and society. The themes are provide opportunities for questions and answers, outreach to the marginalized, authenticity and transparency in the church. The church needs to promote development of all callings in ministry. So the first one, provide opportunities for Q&A. So I I would give a little bit of pushback on this. So one of it is I want to have Q&A at the end of Mass. I don't really think a Q&A at the end of Mass is appropriate in my opinion, unless they mean like off-site. But if they're talking about like the, the priest from the pulpit answering questions, I don't think that's appropriate. Again, I don't know. It, it, we don't have full uh, disclosure of what they were talking about specifically. Um. But I think this is, I think this comes up a little bit later. It, it basically talking about how the, like, are our priests really listening to us? And just getting to know Father Dom and Father Tony, I would say they absolutely take into consideration uh, parishioners' wishes and fears and things like that. But at the same time, we have to remember men and women out there is that they don't answer to us. They answer to God. And we talk about too, and in the interview with Jesse Romero, 
especially men, uh, we have a greater responsibility, and God is going to judge us harsher, essentially, um, because he it's man it's a man's job. Uh, he gives them more responsibility for if you're a married man for your wife, if you are a father for your children, and for priests, they are in charge of their flock. Okay, so he ultimately answers to God, and so the decision that he makes needs to be with God at the center. And so every decision he makes, it's obviously going to hurt some people's feelings. Uh, but don't think that they take these decisions lightly and they they and that they are like, oh, I'm just going to marginalize a certain group in the church because they disagree with me. They don't they don't think that way. It's not like they're out to get you specifically, but we have to always keep in mind that their ultimate judge is Christ, just like our ultimate judge is Christ. And so I think we need to give them a little slack in that if you see them do something that maybe you don't agree with, that you don't understand, one, always ask for clarification. That's what they're there for. I mean, they're not like, if you come up to them and they say, hey, Father, I disagree with what you're doing, which is sort of what we're going through right now. It's not like Father Tony, in our case, is going to say, no, I'm not going to talk to you about that. Like, he's more than willing to explain, um, to give you his reasons and why he wants to do what he wants to do. Um, So that... I mean, I understand where they're coming from, um, especially if sometimes if if y- you see your parish going in a direction that you don't want it to go, and like, well, they're not listening to these people. I can see how that could be, that might be perceived as they're not taking your side seriously, but just, just always remember, I would just encourage to always remember that they don't take the decisions lightly, but ultimately they need to do what is right for the parish because that that is their responsibility that God specifically gave them. And so they need to make sure that they they make these decisions through intense prayer and it's not just taken lightly. So that that was I, I understand where they're coming from, more input. Absolutely. But I also think we need to remember that they they do take what we say seriously. And then it's just, you know, who's their ultimate authority? Yeah, Father Tony's actually pointed out too, and I didn't realize this, but it makes sense. Um, it's not just the parishioners that he's going to have to an- answer for. He's going to have to answer for all of the people in, you know, his his sphere sphere mm. of influence. That's basically. right. Like, That's right. So we're in Ada, Michigan. St. Roberts is, of New Minster is in uh, Ada, Michigan. So it's not just the ones who are sitting in the pews on Sunday. It's the ones who aren't. What What did you do to evangelize to them to get them back into the church that kind of thing oh that's good sorry you like that brandy that's good that's right there man i put it within oh, reach wow. james's good. first taste of brandy i think i think so yeah i don't i don't know it's that's, good that's good yeah it's I like an, that it's an, okay. it's an easy drink. sorry sorry you're on a roll <laughs> and i just had to i had to yell no, it actually out. i was going to going to transition into the um you know what uh, sort of a what if mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. what if it wasn't the uh the priest that was filling that role i see also in here create opp- create opportunities to develop relationships parish social gatherings sunday donuts pancake breakfasts etc mm-hmm. um i absolutely agree with that because mm-hmm. i think it's great to see especially uh young men and young families engaging in that way now what if um at those it's not nece- not necessarily a priest because they they've got a lot of draws on their time. Mm. What if there was um, and not to add more ministries into the mix because it's hard enough to get people to volunteer for those as it is. But what if there was someone trained in spiritual direction or just the communal um, getting together of what do you think Father meant by this uh, in the homily that we just heard a few mm. minutes ago, mm. right? 
what better time to do that than when you're, you got a coffee in your hand or pancake or donut in hand. Um, now of course kids might be running around and things of that nature, but, um, you know, I know, I know at least the few parish halls I've been into, those are usually fairly conducive to kids running around and being hooligans and, Mm -hmm. you know, stretching their legs as long as they stay out of the kitchen. Um, so I think that's a way that absolutely that, that could be a great way that in general building community is something I think we all hunger for. Um, excuse me. And, um, that'd be a way to really breathe life into the parish because if you're going somewhere and you feel like you don't, you're not engaged, you're not connected, you're not, um, interacting with other people, you're not, those, those roots are very shallow in that community. And it's very easy for you to say, um, you know what? I'm not feeling it this Sunday. And then that becomes the norm more mm-hmm. so than, than anything else. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, and just another thing too, I want to touch on, it says offer small group opportunities for respectful dialogue, need to address difficult topics that seem to polarize the community, such as abortion, right to life, environmental crisis, LGBTQ issues, uh, listen to all perspectives. So I don't know if they're talking about maybe just like small groups, just like for people to get together and talk about these things or in relation to the church specifically. I'm not sure what. Yeah. It looks like these, two separate thoughts. In the- yeah. It looks like it is. So, you know, um, so I would just say to that, I think that's where the catechesis comes into play is that, so like abortion right to life. I mean, if there was solid catechesis, I mean, you can't be Catholic and, and be pro abortion. I mean, that is just cut and dry. Like in my opinion, um, so, talk. I mean, I guess I guess a, a good way to kind of turn this would be, you can kind of turn it into okay, what does the church actually teach, and how can we counter the common arguments that we might experience out in the in the public sphere? Because I think, again, I I'm kind of trying to think of what this parishioner was thinking, or multiple parishioners, is that the church is pretty clear on, you know, abortion, uh, LGBTQ, um, the environment, uh, uh, war, things like that. The church is, is pretty clear. And if you just look at the catechism, um, you can, you can get pretty much everything you need to know about what the church actually teaches. So uh, just having that, that catechesis education would clear a lot of this up. And I think we could turn this into, Hey, this is what the church teaches. So now how can we counter these arguments? It's almost like an apologetics yeah, it's type of turning, thing. It's turning the teaching, which could be dry yeah. for most people to consume. And, and you know, as we're talking about this, maybe maybe those two sen- sentences actually were tied together. Offering the small small groups with that have the opportunity for the respectful dialogue on these tough topics. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, such as these things. And, um, you know, the more there, there is content out there if you seek it out for, you know, understanding and and having a further discussion on some of these issues. Um, I think one of the the difficult things is, and I'm not saying this is a reason not to do something, but then how do you encourage the attendance at those sort of things? Mm -hmm. And, and perhaps that's, that's a spot where, um, as word get out, gets out, more people would, would engage with it, but I would absolutely love those kinds of opportunities. But it also comes down to time being a, a finite thing that we've got, mm-hmm. right? right? But these are all great things that we absolutely need to discuss on the LGBTQ issues. Um, I know that's one that I 
I struggle with a lot because we have we have loved ones that uh, are our friends or or maybe even uh, family members that are within that community. And I was I think I was telling you about this. I was listening to EWTN on I think it was on the way to pick up the kids at one point, and they had a priest on there that was talking about um, an anecdotal uh, uh, situation where he was at a a uh, wedding he hadn't officiated the wedding i don't think i think it was a wedding of a friend but he had a roman collar on and this couple approached him that um he assumed was a lesbian couple based on how they were interacting and he was getting food at the buffet when they came up to him and confrontationally said you think we're wrong don't you and he said that he turned around and said i do I think there's much better food at this buffet than you have on your plate currently. And he said they, they laughed in spite of themselves. So he said he, he was able to address the confrontation, initial confrontation with humor to sort of disarm the situation. And then ultimately through the short conversation that ensued, they joined him for dinner and they talked. And um, one of the questions that came up during that was they asked him, what do you see when you look at us? And at this point in time, I'm sitting, I've been sitting in the parking lot for one or, a minute or two, going to getting ready to go pick up the kids. It's cl- close to closing time for them. I'm like, oh, I want to hear the answer to this because I, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious. And I heard the first part, but I didn't hear what was going to be the obvious but. And he said, what I see, and I'm paraphrasing here, I actually just reached out to EWTN earlier today to see if they have it in an audio archive or know the priest's name offhand so that, heck, maybe we could even get him on to, to talk about yeah. how to address some of these difficult issues. But um, what I remember from what he said is I see two children of that were made in the image and likeness of God who want to love and want to be loved and that are um, more or less, you know, acting that desire out. And then, but then there's the but, right? Because that's, you know, going against church teaching. And that's when I'm looking at the clock and I'm saying, "Ah, I can't, I can't sit here any longer. And of course, by the time I get out with the kids, you know, they're wanting to listen to let it go on the way home or or something else um, that, you know, gets scorched into any parent's memory as Mm -hmm. far as the lyrics are concerned. Mm -hmm. But I'd be really interested to see, and and heck, if anyone out there knows um, of the priest that was telling this very specific story about, you know, being at the buffet and and sitting down and he said, you know, what more unlikely dinner dinner uh, guests of sitting with each other at the same table than the priest, the Roman Catholic priest and the, the lesbian couple. But he said they talked for a very long time. Great. And Wonderful. that, that is the kind of um, evangelism that I think we need out there. And there's a saying, I don't know if there's knowledge of who was original to say it, but no one cares how much you know until they know that you care. So he, he led with, something that shows that he, that they care, that he cared that I see people who, you know, are God's beloved children who want to be loved and want to love. And, you know, that's affirming that the feelings themselves are ones that, um, people have and, and that God places on our hearts. But, you know, then there's, there's the butt of, I'm, I'm not going to try to place words in his mouth and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not going to try to expand on it and sort of end up on a tangent for the discussion. But I think that in general, having more information on how to have 
difficult conversations in a respectful way is something that we could all benefit from. Well, I think too is because the more knowledge you have, you can approach the topic with love versus trying to win the argument. And I think too, when we are unsure of what we, what we're arguing for, arguing about, we just try to get the argument out without recognizing that there's another person on the other side. And yeah, so I mean, obviously these are are hot button issues, you know, abortion. Oh my gosh, like look at, you know, by the time this this comes out, um, we, we're recording on June 21st, so we don't know about Roe v. Wade, but um, it looks like it's going to be overturned. Just look at the, the chaos that has ensued with that leaked document. At the mere possibility. At the mere possibility. And, you know, as 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 Catholics, we need to we need to recognize again what the church teaches, but then we also need to be able to defend it and we need to be comfortable defending it because if we're comfortable defending it, if we know the the teaching of the church and we know the common arguments of that, then we can approach this person with love and recognizing the fact that one, they might have experience in abortion. Most most people probably know someone close to them that has experience in abortion and recognize that this might be someone who is extremely hurt. Um, they might be going through something personally. And, you know, I know Trent Horn, if you guys know Trent Horn, he works with Catholic Answers. He has his own podcast as well. He did a ton of pro-life work uh, when he was right out of college. But he talks about too, when you, when you break, when you break through like that initial emotional outburst that a lot of these folks might have from the other side, you see that there is some sort of hurt that is deep down. But when you can break through that, you can actually have a really good conversation with them and then, you know, teach about what the church actually teaches. And, that, and that's the big thing. And we, I feel like this is kind of the theme of the last episode and this episode is the catechesis of it. It all starts with the catechesis because if we don't know what we don't know, then we can't, we can't be that light in the world properly. And we can't evangelize properly because our faith is almost this. Um, go back to you guys know I'm terrible at quoting scripture, but the parable of you know um, the throwing the seeds in the in the different soils. Yep. And so it'd be like the ones where it's thrown into the thorn. So like initially you receive the word of God, you experience this great joy, but they have no roots. So then when something comes, it chokes you off. And then you're like, oh my gosh, like someone challenged me on what I've grown up with and I don't have a foundation. So maybe the church is actually wrong because I've never actually thought about what the church teaches and why it teaches it that way. So the point is that this catechesis will allow us to approach these difficult issues, one with the, with the backing of the church of 2000 years, which no one can ever dispute, but two, it allows us to shift our focus of I'm inadequate of answering this question to I feel comfortable answering this question, but now how can I do it in a way that is loving and caring that might actually save this person's soul? Because I think if we approach it as let's not win the argument, let's save this person's soul, I think that will would, would shift our emotion too. Because I know too, when you hear abortion, that's something that really stirs up emotion in me, especially being a father of young kids. Uh, and now my wife is pregnant with two. 
it stirs up a lot of emotions in me just because it's so raw. And so it it, it can be hard for me to control that, uh, but then channel that positively and say, okay, this is a, a child of God made in the image and likeness of God, like you said, and with that, what that priest was saying. And then recognizing that and then saying, okay, how can we steer this conversation in a loving way, but not backing down from what the church teaches? Because you always have to remember that you you can never compromise the truth to just appease somebody's feelings. You can do that in a loving way and say you're absolutely 100% wrong, but you can do that in a loving way. And I think, you know, one of the approaches that I can't remember where I initially got this impression, but when in doubt, ask questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you understand the position because you, you may end up providing a counterpoint in the argument that isn't actually what the person was going to, uh, it, it isn't the point that they're trying to make. And maybe I picked this up from the change my mind stuff that Steven Crowder does. Mm-hmm. He'll, he'll ask questions to probe, you know, what the person actually means. Mm-hmm. And so perhaps when you're feeling those strong emotions, rather than immediately retorting, Find something to ask for a clarification mm-hmm. on that point for. What it also helps with is drilling down and figuring out for that. Sometimes that that conversation can, at least for me, when when someone asks me enough questions that I recognize the inadequacy of my position, then it's sort of ingrained in me. I want to go find the answers to that. And that sort of stemmed from some Bible study stuff. I'm sure other things, but initially, as far as the faith is concerned, some mm-hmm. Bible study stuff I was doing with a Protestant brethren at the, at the firm I work at, where I wanted to understand the, the positions of the Catholic church, because I f- firmly believed in them, but all I could do was parrot them. Mm-hmm. I couldn't go any deeper than that. Yeah, right. um, and even then I might have to consult the catechism to to, to provide even what the position is. Um, and so asking questions so you understand the position can, even if it doesn't help you in that conversation, perhaps it helps you in ruminating on how you might address that question mm-hmm. in the future. And you can look up information to, to help you address it. Well, isn't that St. Thomas Aquinas in his Summa is he would ask questions and then he would iron man the other person's argument. And then he'd answer the question. Huh. Do you I'm remember not. that? Mm-mm. Yeah, so in and, and St. Thomas Aquinas, I have not read his Summa Theologiae, but from what I've heard from other people who have read him is that in the Summa, essentially he'll he'll ask a question, and then if you guys have heard the term straw manning, so straw manning is basically you set up the weakest part of the other person's argument and then you attack that. A lot of people do that nowadays. Um, just to try to win arguments, but what he does is he takes the strongest position of the other of the opposition's view, so he presents that it's like this is their strongest argument, and then he he basically breaks it down why that is still incorrect, and so but that's 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 what we need to do though is you want to make sure the other person is understood and is heard, and then you want to have that that proper dialogue with them as well, and then. You, and that that's actually something that, as far as the abortion concept is uh, topic is concerned, mm-hmm. I saw that I didn't realize that it was a, Saint, a Thomas Aquinas thing. Mm-hmm. But um, Matt Frad's pint with Aquinas, pints with Aquinas, they did that. It's a huge one from it looks like two years ago. I just pulled it up on YouTube, um, answering the best pro-choice argument, and that is with um, I'm going to try to not have this actually play Stephanie Gray. Oh yeah, like. that's huge. Yeah, she's huge in the pro-life movement. Yeah, and so the initial um, 
introduction in that episode because I watched it because I'm, I'm passionately, of course, against abortion as well. Now, growing up, I wasn't nece- I wasn't because there's a lack of good catechesis on the scientific side of things too mm. to the young people. There's a bunch of um, lies and, and euphemisms that are presented to them, and it's what's convenient for their life goals. Mm. So they Absolutely. they gobble it up. Um, that's you know topics for another another time as well. But basically. Uh, the point in that Pints of Aquinas episode was that, look, it doesn't do anything to attack the weakest position or the straw man position, which is a made up one that the person usually doesn't actually hold that view right. when you're doing a, a straw man attack. Instead, let's take the strongest possible argument or position they've got and let's pick that apart. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I want to touch a little bit on this last point, which I actually 100% agree with. And I think we talked a little bit about this, Ryan, too. So there's a promote authenticity and transparency in the church. The church, especially the hierarchy, has not been open and transparent about issues in the past, such as the clergy sex abuse scandal. It feels as if the clergy are disconnected from the laity. Bishops and priests need to communicate with parishioners more honestly and openly and listen to feedback from the laity. So for, for the former point, I would 100% agree with that. And that... The clergy sex abuse scandal was absolutely horrific, and nobody would deny that. And I think what frustrates a lot of people is, is this isn't applicable to all bishops, obviously, but a, a lot of bishops have been very, um, I, I guess, lack of transparency is, is a good way of putting that, and I mean, obviously, when you talk about sex abuse from from a priest, I think it hits on on two levels. And I, I spoke about this with Father Dom on the podcast a while ago. And the first of all is obviously just the abuse itself, which is horrific and should never happen. But the second part is that the fact that it's coming from a priest, I think, makes it even worse. Absolutely. And what what I told him, I, I haven't read anything on this. This is just something that I came up in my mind. I think why it's even worse than already the horrific act is that when you see a priest, whether you're atheist or you're Catholic, you see a priest, you you expect them to be, at the least, a safe person to go to and to talk with. And to leave your children with. And to and to leave your children with. Right, exactly. So when this came out with all this abuse that was going on, I think it affected people at a much deeper level than, say, when we hear about it from a politician or, or an athlete or something, which obviously, again, is still hor- horrific and should never happen, but I think it was almost... It, it cut deeper into people's soul, people's souls because our priests are supposed to be who who not supposed to be they are they do represent Christ especially when they're up and celebrating mass and so I, I think just the lack of leadership in general is something that I think needs to be improved upon um, and why we need to pray for our bishops and our cardinals and our pope so much is that 
we we have to remember i'm trying i'm trying to figure out what it says we have to remember that they are they are men just like you and me are and they struggle with the same sins that you and me do and i think it i think again it's saint thomas aquinas who talks about or i know bishop baron talks about it a lot he says the was it the the primary sins that we go through is power uh lust um pleasure and uh, there's a fourth one, which I'm blanking on. I don't know if you've heard this from Bishop Barron. No, I haven't. Oh, you're not helping me out. Come on, <laughs> come on, Thorn. But no, so basically there's there's four primary things that men especially pursue. And when, when it falls within those categories, it our, our priests are no exception to, to the rule. And as we talked about in the last episode, Satan is especially going after them. Because if he can attack the the holy men of our church then he can easily go after the laity so you can kind of think of the bishop especially the bishop of your diocese as kind of like the first line of defense and it, it trickles down from there right if you have a really holy bishop you're gonna have holy priests that are in your diocese and then holy priests can help obviously create holy men and women as well so the the lack of leadership especially the the clergy sex abuse scandal, especially with the whole COVID thing, which that's a topic for another day. Um, I, I would 100% agree with you know, increasing the authenticity and transparency. I know in the Grand Rapids Diocese, they they have been pretty transparent. Uh, we have a really good bishop, Bishop Wilkowiak, um, who is pretty transparent about it as well. But I know other bishops have not been as transparent. I know that's frustrated quite a bit of laity, so... That's what I have to say about that. Yeah, I couldn't agree. I mean, I don't really have much to add to that at all, just other than absolutely we're we're all sinners, not excusing anything that they did. I absolutely, think, yeah. I think the, what's uh, the word I'm looking for? Hypocrisy in what I think is objectively a heinous act um, to then, you know, I'm thinking of you know, people could easily say, I went to this man for confession mm. and the entire time, you know, this was, was something that had occurred mm. and it, it's difficult yeah. to pray for someone, the salvation of someone like that. To, Absolutely. To pray for 100%. Them. Yeah. But we're, we're called to love our neighbors as ourselves. And something that my wife said, um, many years ago, I think it was from a homily or something more or less. Or, or maybe it was even from um, C.S. Lewis that we're not all given the same toolbox. We're not given all the same challenges. What's easy for me is not necessarily easy for others. Mm-hmm. And what's hard for me is not necessarily hard for others. We're kind of going back to the last episode we talked to. The the thorn in your side is is what you are called to grow in virtue for, to you know maybe callous yourself to that temptation so that it's harder for it to penetrate into your life. Um, and... I think anything involving children is something that's going to galvanize a lot of people to try to tear down what what it is that's hurting those kids. Yeah, anything with children, um, it just it really touches on a really sensitive, I guess, part of me, especially with with uh, yeah, go for it with uh with young children and i think it's robbing them of that innocence and and especially because children are so 
malleable. Their brains are so formative. So if they have one bad experience, their whole, their literally their whole life could be shaped around that one bad experience. And that, that's why I think this whole, the whole thing in the political realm of the, you know, LGBTQ and, and, and all that, but it's, it's being pushed on children. And I think that's when people say, hold on here. If, if that's happening with adults, we can, we can understand that to an extent. But when you're starting to push that on children, I think that's when it's like, hold on. Like we need to, we need to preserve their innocence. We need to preserve as much as we can of them because they are so vulnerable. And, um, but yeah, anyways, just well, and perhaps this is something that someone else brought up to me that, and the way I would perhaps phrase it relative to this conversation is the that movement, um, that social push is suffering from a formation deficit mm-hmm. relative to you know relationships that are able to procreate within themselves, yeah. Um, you know, of course, there's adoption and things of yeah, that nature. Sure, sure. But we, as parents, have, um, you know, for for the children that we have under our care, we have a an advantage of being able to form them, and they look to us for that guidance. And we will always have that authority from God uh, over them. But then they will also look to us, especially if we are leading a life that um, makes them want to look up to us. Right. And there's a segue there or a a statement there, I guess, to be said relative to the priest issues as well. But there needs to be a whole new re-evangelization, if you will, for the LGBT um, movement. And, of course, they'd have that that same opportunity with the adopted children and things of that nature. But somewhat interestingly, I was going to say ironically, but often in that community, it's the same that um, say we shouldn't be having more than one or two kids because we need to decrease the population. So then all of a sudden, who's going to win out over the next hundreds of years? It's whatever belief system is having the most children. Yeah. Right? Really? Seriously? Um, yeah. You know, there's sort of a exponential growth factor there. And relative to some of those statements with, with the priest sex abuse scandal, you know, they are so the same way that uh, the love we show our children is – going to help them understand the love of God. If their exposure to the love of God via a priest is that abuse, that's, that's not good. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think there's an aspect of that playing into the, um, I want to say the word that's coming to mind is treachery. Um, that's not exactly the word, but the, the, the priest, imparting that sin onto the rest of those that are, um, you know, it's sort of assumed by the rest of Catholics of Europe. So you're okay with this, right? Mm. I know that was an opposition that my mother had um, to me becoming Catholic. She said, so you're okay with that? I said, no, no, no. You know, we're called to forgive as we want to be forgiven. And that was, those are evil men that infiltrated the church. Mm. And, uh, you know, a good the the person that hates a bad priest the most is a good priest I would assume mm-hmm. and the same way you could say that of, of police officers or any position of authority someone who um, abuses it abuses it absolutely 
Yeah, look at King David. Yeah. Totally abused his 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 power with Bathsheba. Topic for another day. Yeah. I think we touched on that briefly. I think previously. we did. Yeah. But uh, so the last question, I don't have a ton to say about this one. So core question four is, um, it just has fundamental question, companions on the journey. The themes are invite, welcome, and be non-judgmental. Engage families, pray for, and be open to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So uh, we talked about this in the last episode Our, uh, for St. Robert's. St. Robert's is, I think, the biggest parish in the diocese but it says our parish feels disconnected because it is so large develop larger community by creating small faith communities and small groups to pray together study together and discuss issues 100% agree with that absolutely promote opportunities for people to get involved uh, openly and actively invite people to get involved in parish and outreach ministries and uh, Ryan said I needed to get into my um, exemplification (laughs) <laughs> so uh, he's actively doing that right now. Well done, yeah. Ryan. Good Got job. You I know. Shoot, I'm, I'm live too here. Um, so identify and reach. So this was an interesting idea. So identify and reach out to the disaffiliated and fallen away Catholics. Personal contacts, phone calls, visits. We need to walk not only with church members but also with our brothers and sisters in society. And that's what you talked about. Uh, with uh, and Father Tony brought this up is that he's not only responsible for his parish but also his. The, basically, you can call it Ada, the whole city. And we need to not walk, we need to walk not only with church members, also with our brothers and sisters in society. And I think that's that's kind of the, the challenge that the church is facing right now is because there was such poor catechesis for such a long period of time that it's almost like they have to re-catechize their own which in turn will help recatechize society because a priest can only do one thing, right? He's only one person. Yeah. But if he has, you know, a thousand families at St. Robert's who is, who is well catechized, then how many people can they affect within their social bubble? Right. So I, and that's kind of the fine line is like, okay, do we need to focus within the house first? Do we need to clean house first? And then start reaching out, or do we need to do both? So that's kind of, in my my estimation, that's kind of the the balance that needs to be had right now. Yeah, one of the things. So prior to moving to Ada, I lived in Portland, Michigan, and went to St. Pat's Catholic Church down there. And over each of the exits, it's it's a beautiful old stone church, and uh, I absolutely loved it. Felt like I was going into a castle when I was going into there. It's not a huge church. St. Robert's is obviously much larger, but. Um, over each of the exits, it said entering mission territory. And that kind of ties into treating yourself as a a missionary out there into society Mm -hmm. because Catholicism, you know, frankly, any, any Christian faith um, is countercultural if it's being true to the Bible and knowing your faith so that when people oppose it, uh, you can what's eloquently or, or at least, concretely provide information as to that the reason behind that um absolutely there's an exponential effect going on there right you've got one priest let's say a thousand families those families let's say there's um two kids in each of those families now oh, those two kids so you've got let's say only one person works in the household um or on average one and a half now you've got um 
Oh shoot, I made the math hard. Seven hundred and fifty <laughs> <laughs> let's say seven hundred and fifty adults out there catechizing and um two thousand children that are capable of catechizing if the priest can encourage the um proper, good, strong formation of the father and the mother, and then the father and mother can trickle that down to the children and the children are and the parents are all active witnesses, not necessarily going out there and thumping a Bible necessarily, but just being, people will notice that there's something different about that person and they'll hopefully gravitate towards that, want to find out. And I think something that a lot of us could do better about is it's when something comes up that is against our beliefs it's very easy to cower away and say, you know what? I'm just not going to engage. I'm not looking for a confrontation. I'm just here for my coffee. I'm not saying to you know get into a discussion in every possible lobby that you can because it goes back to what I talked about earlier. No one cares what you know until they know that you care. So talking to someone in the line at uh, you know, where you're getting lunch, not necessarily going to make a, a huge difference. Now, what could is your colleagues who you've developed a rapport with and then, you know, they constantly are bringing things up, looking for an opportunity to sort of oppose whatever that might be, whether it be abortion or um, same-sex marriage or, or whatever it might be. And pointing out again from a loving point that this is not, this is going to another, another point that's on here is of being less judgmental. You know, God is the, the judge and, um, but we we are here to to help provide the teaching that and understanding that the two thousand years of um, church understanding, revelation, tradition, and things of that nature um, are there for. And now, by revelation, just for those who are are perhaps going to cite the Bible, that you know, woe to he who adds or, or subtracts from this document, and that there's no further revelation after the Book of Revelations. I'm not saying there's further revelation. I mean the understanding that has come from thoughtful contemplation and sitting in silence with scripture and um, being open to the Holy Spirit, which is another aspect of of what's brought up in the uh, synod listening responses that we're looking at here. That was uh, President Theodore Roosevelt who said that quote. That you've quoted twice now tonight. Yeah, there you go. In case you're wondering. So the last last point uh, before we wrap up here that I wanted to address, so it says... We need a synodal church, a church that listens and dialogues across boundaries and factions rather than a museum church, a church that follows the rules and habits in order to maintain itself. A synodal church is open to the movement of the Holy Spirit. A museum church is closed in on itself. I just want to just a couple qu- couple points on that. So a museum church, a church that follows the rules and habits in order to maintain itself. So the only thing that I would disagree with is if you're saying the church needs to change just to change, then I would 100% disagree with that. Um, because if we are changing just because the world is changing, uh, the world obviously is under the influence of Satan. So if we are changing as our culture is changing and um, the culture is becoming more uh, pro-abortion, the culture is becoming more LGBTQ+, the culture is becoming more transgender, things like that, um, then I would 100% disagree with that. But if you're talking about a church that is um, following the rules uh, just to follow rules, 
Uh, I guess I would need more clarification on that on that point. But of course, the church is open to the movement of the Holy Spirit. 100% agree with that. Um, the church has to move as the Holy Spirit moves it. And that is a big point. This is kind of a counterpoint with the the Pope being infallible. And that is a, <laughs> a hugely misconstrued point. It does not mean the Pope is perfect. Um, it means whenever the Pope speaks on the church on the church's behalf, he cannot teach in error. So the Pope can have incorrect personal opinions about the economy, about global politics, things like that. But when we're talking about the the concept of infallibility, the Pope can never lead the church into error. Um, when he pronounces it specifically um, as a church teaching. So that is the the movement of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, I, I think I've heard this before, but the Holy Spirit essentially prevents that from happening when a, a pope goes to speak on the church's behalf. It can't, he cannot speak um, uh, against the teachings of Christ, essentially. So that would be my my one pushback on that last point. Uh, but again, it just we're just reading this. It's a document that was sent out to us, so we're just reading this verbatim. So um, you don't really get the context of what the person was saying. So that'd be my one my one thing on the last point. I just looked up really quick. Now, granted, this isn't from a source that I recognize by any means, um, but according to a oh gosh, this looks like a maybe just a blog post. So no, uh, Jimmy Aiken, he uh, works for Catholic Answers. Oh, does he? Okay, yeah. Um, He's really well known in the Catholic Answers realm. Okay, he's well, really good. This is yeah. a, this is a post from 2004, and I I doubt that there's been more papal infallibility statements uh, since then. But uh, let's see here, papal infallibility mm. is widely misunderstood by Catholics. <sighs> Darn the Google snippet that it provided oh. was basically Ryan that did not have it prepared. Infallibility has been invoked by popes only twice. Yeah, right. And so this is not this is not a, a it a rarely happens. Thing. So once every thousand years, we got a little while for uh, the next one, and so it it's just it's not something that is even, frankly, in my view, even worth bringing up as far as a discussion. If someone's going to say, "Well, the Pope's not infallible," it's only been twice, yeah, apparently, yeah, and so you you want to touch base on on that you know, once in every thousand years, that's yeah. not really a, a point worth, a worth spending a ton of time on from, from a discussion standpoint for as far as if, if the, if that was someone's only, um, gripe and preventing them from entering the Catholic church, I'd say, Hey, you know, that's, that's not really something that should be holding you back. Right. right. Um, yeah, I'd say I'm trying to read that that statement from the synod listening session in the most positive way possible. What's the, what's the, uh, the last one, the last the one, the one that you were mentioning. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need a synodal church. Yeah, absolutely. We need a, a church that listens. Um, I'd say where I start to have issues with it is where they have the, in order to maintain itself. So you're assuming mm. that the church is following the rules and habits solely to in order to maintain itself 
I'm trying to read that because my initial thought was negative of, mm-hmm. of that mm-hmm. statement and trying to be the the parishioner's advocate. Um, what's a positive way I could read that? I'm having a hard time coming up with one. Um, but perhaps a positive way to read that would be if the church is not changing something seemingly minor that is inhibiting access or, um, you know, the accessibility of of people being able to understand or, um, the inhibiting the evangelization. Sure. Perhaps that should, should go by the wayside. My initial negative thought was the assumption. And again, the person that wrote this isn't here to expand on it. Um, the assumption that that statement was made from a place of saying that the church is too rigid mm-hmm. and it's yeah. just a, that tradition is just habits and they should, they should go by the wayside and that they're just trying to maintain their position because they've always hold this, held this position. Mm-hmm. Well, this is how we've always done it. Mm-hmm. And so right. it can't be changed. But if you are firmly set on a rock as your foundation, then of course it's not going to move. Mm-hmm. It doesn't shift with the tide. Right. Yeah. And I think the biggest misconception in our day and age is that just because something is old does not mean it is outdated. And the church itself should be our foundation in this life. So if, if, if this change is, well, the world seems to be changing from what we thought even just gosh, 15 years ago, if the world is changing, maybe the church should change too. And if that is the approach of this question, then I would firmly disagree with that because the church should be the one thing that is a constant in our life. And just because society is changing does not mean the church should change with it. Because if we, again, if we're keeping this in perspective, who runs society? Who runs the world? It's Satan and his demons. So if 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 you want to reword it, if Satan and his demons are changing and they're they're bringing forth these ideas that are now prominent in our society, then why on earth would would the church who is from Christ go along with that? Going back to the 14th rule of the discernment of spirits, <laughs> if the demons are changing their attack plan because, you know, they're either bored with or, or it's no longer effective to attack at, at this portion of the wall and they want to change so that they can come at it from a different point of attack, mm-hmm. then why would the church then conceivably, you know, to keep with the analogy, lower the height of that wall in order to, quote unquote, change with the times? Right. So you are now reacting to in a, what would be a foolish mili- military standpoint – way to an attack you're saying oh they're attacking over there why don't we send half of the guys on that wall over to the other wall that they were just at excuse me and um i it just one of the uh, another analogy that i'm wondering and this is just coming to me right now as far as I'm, i'm not sure how well it's gonna gonna shake out but i'm thinking of when the apostles and jesus were in the boat and they were worried about sinking because of the storm. And so if the the waves and the um, 
and and that are the the undulations and the the chaos of society and jesus is there with us in the boat and we're saying we're afraid of sinking the church is afraid of sinking losing membership things of that nature and he stands up and and quiets the waters you know he's got that calm we're relying on him to quiet the calm and and discomfort that we have when we look at society and say something should change he says i'm here with you why are you afraid you know that and then that that presence quiets the storm or and i'm not sure how else to expand on that but it's just something that i was sort of sitting with as as we as you were talking about it and and sort of reflecting on and and saying perhaps there's some analogy here between the uh the turbulence of those waters the turbulence of our social waters the firm foundation of being on jesus his ability to quiet that turbulence mm-hmm. and um you know are worrying for no not necessarily no reason but in in that example um you know he's he's there with us what do we have to worry about we'll put it in his hands yeah yeah oh we went over our time limit ah shoot problem when the other window is open rather than the uh garage band that's true that's true i need to do that when you have a ticking time bomb (laughs) (laughs) alert alert approaching all right so for the challenge this week all right we gotta think about this um the challenge this week last week was listening to the holy five minutes five minutes a day five minutes a day of silence, pure silence. So this week, five minutes of yelling. Five minutes of no, yelling. I'm just kidding. Five minutes of yelling. Well, Ryan said it. Ryan's challenge: yell for five straight minutes. So when well, you guys, we will know you by the hoarse voice. Yeah, exactly. So I have a challenge. So I will include in the show notes a link to a very specific prayer to the Holy Spirit. Because the last section is pray for and be open to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So I know for me, I usually pray to Jesus. Um, I think growing up Protestant, that's you go right to Jesus pretty much. Go to the source, as they might say. Yeah, go to the source, exactly. But the Holy Spirit is kind of this, uh, it's, it's almost like an enigma, you know. And it, to understand the Holy Trinity is... To fully understand it is impossible, but um, I think the Holy Spirit often gets forgotten. So I'm going to include in the link a link in the show notes to a specific prayer um, for the Holy Spirit to come into your life. And this week, I want you guys to focus on that that specific aspect of the Trinity. And I want you to do that prayer and invite the Holy Spirit to stir your soul, because I, I don't know if this was you, Ryan, growing up Protestant, but for me, it was inviting the Holy Spirit to come into your life. Like, did you accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? That was often the terminology that I grew up with. And I think what they meant by that was, are you inviting the Holy Spirit to come into your life and basically take over every part of your being? I, I think that's that's where they get that language and and what they're getting at. But as Catholics, we know um, you, you can, you can say specific prayers of the father, the son and the Holy spirit. So for this one, I'm going to include a link in the show notes, one for the Holy spirit, pray that prayer. 
and then just invite the Holy Spirit into every aspect of your life and and see what happens. Leave uh, comments in uh, on the YouTube channel. Uh, if you follow us on Instagram, Facebook, leave comments uh, on this episode as well. Um, just do that. What is happening? Satan is trying to take over. That was bizarre. So my garage band randomly stopped recording. But I'm going to keep going. So uh, say the prayer uh, and just, uh, yeah, comment on what the Holy Spirit is doing in your lives. So that's my challenge. Come Holy Spirit, come. Come Holy Spirit, come. All right, man, that wraps up another episode of The Manly Catholic. So go out there and be a saint. Thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of The Manly Catholic. If you have not already done so, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. It will also help grow the show and reach as many men as possible. We truly think this podcast can change families and help men to change the world. Thank you again so much for tuning in and God bless you.